All right, let's go straight into the Word of God. Come with me, please, to the book of Acts, chapter 16. Book of Acts, chapter 16, which is relating to the story of the Philippian jailer. You know, at midnight, Paul and Silas, they began to pray and to sing praises, and uh, God gave an earthquake, and the cell doors were swung open. And of course, the prison warder thought, well, that was curtains for him, because if he lost any prisoners, then he forfeited his life. So Paul, verse 28, said, but Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, do yourself no harm, for we are all here. And he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them. And he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. The title of the message tonight is Household Salvation. Question, is it an impossible dream? Is it an unattainable goal? Is it something that we fondly imagine but hardly dare to actually believe that it will happen? Is it possible for our mums, our dads, our brothers, our sisters, our sons and daughters, our grannies and grandas, our uncles and aunties, cousins, extended family, is it possible that they will come to faith in Christ and that we will live to see that? Now, we must not conclude from what we have just read in Acts 16, that somehow the Philippian jailer's amazing conversion uh, automatically saved his family. They too had to believe. They too had to receive. Verse 32, and they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the house. Verse 34, now when they had brought them into his house, he set food before them and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. It's often been said that God has only children, he has no grandchildren. And so they all had to believe and they all had to receive. But what this does mean, I believe, that his obedience became their opportunity. If he hadn't have been obedient, the chances are that they wouldn't have been either. If he hadn't have been willing to listen and then respond to the gospel message that was evidently preached to him, then it's very doubtful if any of his family would have followed. And so his obedience became their opportunity. The door of grace was opened onto this whole household. And I think that his obedience was the thing that opened that door of grace to his family. Remember two Sunday mornings ago, we were talking about the Lamb of God. And how in Exodus uh, chapter 12, we got that great illustration, that great type of Christ that was to come, 
and how that little lamb was to be taken. A lamb for a household. Every household had to have a lamb, and that lamb had to be slain for that household, and the blood had to be put on the outside of the building so that when the angel of God, the judgment of God would pass over, that they would be spared. But everyone had to stay in the house. Every family member had to stay under that roof that night, under the blood. And if they didn't, then they'd be treated the same as the Egyptians, whose firstborn was about to die. And so they were warned and told specifically to stay in the house. Stay in the house. Avail themselves of the blood. Household salvation. See, I believe that the Scriptures give us much hope of such a thing. I don't believe it's automatic, but I believe they give us great hope of seeing our loved ones brought into the kingdom of God, trusting in Christ. Come with me to Genesis chapter 6 just for a brief moment. Genesis 6, of course, speaking about Noah and the great ark that he prepared. In verse 18, God said, But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. Household salvation. He, his wife, his three sons, and their three wives. And then, of course, over in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 7. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Prepared an ark for the saving of his household. And then over in Second Peter chapter 2, uh, verses 4 and 5, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned but cast them down to hell, delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people. I'm reading from the New King James, but I prefer what the AV says. Noah, the eighth person. A preacher of righteousness bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. Household salvation. Primary purpose of Noah building the ark, according to Hebrews 11.7, was for the saving of his household. Noah was a great preacher of righteousness. He was fearless. He was a man of faith. He was obedient. He was willing. For years he preached righteousness, godliness, trying to turn the people to God, but evidently with no success. 
They didn't want to know. They weren't listening. So God said, okay, prepare a great ark for you and for your family. Of course, for the animals as well, but primarily for his household. If that's all that's going to be saved, so be it. And that's exactly what he did. But you know, his family, who had heard his preaching many, many times, grew up hearing him preach. But each one of them had to obey, had to listen, had to turn to God, had to believe the message, had to believe what they heard, had to believe the Father's message of God. And they did. And of course, they were saved, weren't they? Peter says that Noah was the eighth person. Why is he not named the first person? Then you came, James says that he was one of eight people. I think it means more than that, because we can count, can't we, three daughters and three sons-in-law and how many wives, so all of us can count up to eight, can't we? I think it's just saying a little more than that. Noah, the eighth person, the A.V. says. I think that's the Holy Spirit's way of saying that, that all of the family come into the ark, that Noah waited until they came in one by one by one by one. And when the last one came in, when the seventh one came in, he was the eighth, and the door was closed. What if it said that Noah was the seventh person? That means that one was lost. Or Noah was the sixth person. That means two didn't make it. But because it says Noah was the eighth person, and there was only eight, that tells us very clearly that every single one come into the ark, which is a type of Christ, isn't it? A type of salvation. How many is in your family? What number would you like God to call you? Think about that. How many is in your family? Three? Five? Eight? Maybe you've got a big family. Maybe there's ten. Would you like to be called the tenth? or the eighth, or the third? Would you like God to look and say, I'll name him the seventh, because he's got six in his family, and all of them is coming in. Wouldn't that be lovely? If every single member of your family, your household, come into the ark and was saved. I'm pretty blessed because all my immediate family are saved. And uh, a number of my uncles and aunts get saved. Some on their deathbed, some are led to the Lord in their deathbed. But I've got loads and loads of cousins. And sadly, at this point, not many of them are saved. Very few, in fact. And I tried desperately hard to lead that last one to the Lord, but as far as I can tell, as far as I know, she didn't receive the Lord. But at least I know I tried. At least I know I did everything in my power to lead her to the Lord. But as far as I know, she didn't receive. What number would you like God to call you? What about Abraham and Lot in Genesis 19? 
Genesis 19 and verse 29, it says, And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. When it says, when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow. That's the Bible's way of saying that really, if it hadn't been for Abraham, Lot would have been in real trouble. The fact that Abraham was such a godly and a faithful and a good man, his obedience opened a door of grace for his nephew Lot and his family. The fact in the previous chapter, if we just read a little bit of that towards the end of it, you see that the Lord sent two angels to come and to judge the cities of the plain of which was Sodom and Gomorrah. So the Lord said, verse 26, so the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50, speaking to Abraham, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Now, when the Lord made it clear he was going to destroy these cities, the first thing Abraham thought of was, was Lot and all his family. And even though they had separated and parted, and even though had Lot had went to live in Sodom, instead of being still with Abraham, but he chose to live in that city. He chose the well-watered plains of Jordan where these cities were. Somebody says he thought more. <laughs> he thought more about those well-watered plains than he did about his own children. Never should have taken his family into that city. But he did. And so God comes and says, I'm going to destroy it. And Abraham begins to plead and to intercede. And so the Lord said, If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. See how merciful God is. And Abraham answered and said, Indeed now, I am... I who am but dust and ashes have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there were five less than the 50 righteous. Would you destroy all of the city for lack of five? So he says, if I find there 45, I will not destroy it. He spoke to him yet again. Suppose there should be 40 found there. He said, I will not do it for the sake of the 40. Then he said, let, the Lord be, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 should be found there. He said, I will not do it if I find 30. And he said, indeed now, I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 be found there. He said, I will not destroy it for the sake of the 20. And he said, let not the Lord be angry. And I will speak but once more. Suppose 10 should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of the 10. And so the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. wonder why he stopped at 10. Having counted up Lot's family, which didn't come to 10. See that in a moment. Having counted up his family, perhaps he thought, surely, surely Lot's been there a long time. And Lot's a righteous man. Surely Lot has influenced somebody in that great city. 
Surely there's bound to be some. I mean, he started off thinking there's bound to be 50 righteous people in that city. He got down to 10. And he realized there's not even 10. <laughs> Think a long lot had been there. He, he's now one of the silly leaders. He's now a man of influence in this city. And yet he has not reached one single person for God in that city. Verse chapter 19, the two angels came to Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Here now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go your way. And they said, No, but we will spend the night in the open square. But he insisted strongly, because he knew what would happen in the open square. So he insisted strongly, so they turned in to him and entered the ho his house. Then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Now before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house, and they called a lot and said, Where are the... Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. So Lot went out to them through the doorway and shut the door behind him and said, Please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. See now, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let, them, let me bring them out to you and you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men. That shows you how far this man has sunk in his spiritual walk with God. Only do nothing to these men, since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. They said, stand back. And then he said, then they said, this one came in to stay here and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man Lot. They came near to break down the door. But the men reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and, struck, and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. Even though they were struck blind, they were still intent on their sin. And then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whoever you have in the city, Take them out of this place, for we will destroy this place because of the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. And so Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who had married his daughters. Now, let's just stop there a wee second. Because here has always been a debating point. First of all, it says he had two daughters who had never known a man. So I don't need to tell you what that means. But then here here two sons-in-laws. So who are they married to? Did that mean he had two other daughters that had married these two men? Possibly. We don't know for sure, but possibly. Does it mean that the two who had never known a man, but these sons-in-laws, was this a typical Hebrew thing where they were espoused to husbands? Not officially married, but a spouse to them, which spouses could maybe last up for a year. But obviously hadn't consummated any marriage contract because a contract hadn't been made yet. But they were espoused. Took a long-term engagement, only more legally binding. Could it be that? 
whatever way you count it up, either Lot had six in his family or eight in his family, but he didn't have ten. Either way, we just don't know exactly, but either way, certainly there was not ten. So he said, get up out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. They thought, what is this man talking about? God's going to destroy this great city. He must be off his rocker. And so they laughed him. But when the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here. So whether these were the only two, or whether there was another two that had married two sodomites and decided to stay with them, but either way, at least here were two. Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, what's he lingering about? Shouldn't be lingering. He needs to get out of there fast. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. Now we know if you read further on, you'll see that his wife turned back, looked back. She missed the city. She missed the lifestyle of the city. One writer said, instead of going shopping in Sodom, she should have been with Sarah. She wouldn't have been in this predicament that she's in right now. And so she looks back and she turns into a pillar of salt. She's judged by God because her heart was still in that city. Verse 26, but his wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked towards Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain. And he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land which went up like the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain, that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow, right overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. Lot was spared because of Abraham. And Abraham's two daughters were spared, sorry, Lot's two daughters were spared because of Lot. Because even though Lot was a righteous man, even though he vexed his righteous soul daily with where he lived, but in the end, at the end, at the last moment, and he had to be coaxed and encouraged. Angels had to take his hand. But thank God he got out of there. And because he went out of there, those two daughters were spared. And at least that part of his family was saved. Joshua chapter 2. Now Joshua the son of Nun sent out two men from the Acacia Grove to spy secretly saying, Go through the land, especially Jericho. So they went and they came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there.
And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the city, from the children of Israel, to search out the country. So the king of Jericho went to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. So the woman took the two men and hid them. So she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it happened as the gate was, begin, was being shut when it was dark, that the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But in fact, she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them there with stalks of flax, which she had laid under the roof. Then the men pursued them by the road to Jordan, to the fords, and as soon as those who pursued them had gone, they shut the gate. And before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, listen to what she said, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were with the, who was on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Somewhere in this woman's life, hearing these stories about the Israelites, knowing that they were coming closer, truly believed that they were a people of God and that their God was the true God the only living God. And she was believing that. Now therefore I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token. And spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death thing that concerned this woman right now was household salvation. Can my whole family be saved? Can they be spared? So the man answered her, Our lives for yours. If none of you tell this business of ours, and it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall, and she dwelt on the wall. And she said to them, Get to the mountains, lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterwards you may go your way. So the man said to her, We will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. Always a type of Christ, isn't it? The scarlet cord in the window type of the blood that saves. And unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household to your own home. Note that. They had to be in the house where the scarlet thread was. Just like they had to be in the house where the lamb was slain. So no matter where they lived in the city, they had to come to this house. They had to believe what she was telling them was the truth about this great God. And so it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we will be guiltless. 
And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. And if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be free from her oath which you made us swear. Then she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away and they departed and she bound the scarlet cord in the window. And then we know how that the battle of Jericho and how the city was taken and to cut that long story short verse 15 of chapter 6 of Joshua it says but it came to pass on the seventh day that they arose early and about the dawning of the day and they marched around the city seven times in the same manner and on that day only they marched around the city seven times and at the seventh time it happened when the priest blew the trumpets and Joshua said to the people shout for the Lord has given you the city that the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction it and all who are in it only Rahab the harlot shall live she and all who are with her in the house because she hid the messengers that we sent. And we know how the walls then fell down flat. Verse 22, But Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house, and from there bring out the woman and all that she has as you swore to her. And the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. Household salvation, all that she had. And so they brought out all her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel and they burned the city and all that was in it with fire. In First Chronicles chapter 2, where it's giving a kind of a, a bit of a history of the children of Israel and it tells us some of the names a whole list of names that if you're reading through the Bible and you come to them you say ah, oh, do I have to read this chapter? But you read it anyway because you're going to read through the Bible aren't you? I haven't heard any amens to that at all. But it's talking about all those begats. And in verse 11, two chronic, 1 Chronicles 2, it says, And Nashon begat Salma. And Salma begat Boaz. And Boaz begat Obed. And Obed begat Jesse. And then Jesse begot, and it mentions David's brothers. And then it comes down and says, And David the seventh. Now, if you look quickly in Matthew chapter 1, where it shows you the genealogy here. In verse 4, it says, And Ram begot Aminadab, and Aminadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon, or Salma in the Old Testament. Salmon in the New Testament. And Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. And Ruth and Obed begot Jesse. And Jesse begot David the king. And of course, Jesus is David's greater son, as he's called in Scripture. Now, was 
Salmon, was he one of those two spies? I would like to think that he was. Cannot say for sure, but like to think that he was one of the two that saved Rahab. And here she is, her whole household has been spared. And not only that, because of her faith and because of her obedience and because of all of that, and she trusted the Lord, not only is her whole household saved, but here she ends up in the very genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, it just takes one person. One person in the family can make such a difference to that whole family. Don't need to turn to it, but in Ezekiel chapter 22, God is remonstrating with the people of Jerusalem. city is in a terrible state. Idolatry, blasphemous, all kinds of perversions. God is angry with them. He's about to judge them. And he says, I look for a man. I look for a man. Just one man who would intercede for that city. Just one man. And I found none. I look for a man. I look for an intercessor. I look for somebody who would plead for them. And I found none. Isn't that a shame? Lord, if there's just ten, Abraham's interceding. He's pleading. He's standing in the gap for Lot and his family. Just one. And we as believers, that's what we do for our family. We stand in the gap and we intercede for them, don't we? And we pray for them. And we witness to them. And we share with them. One person can make all of the difference. In Exodus 32, again, for time will not turn to this, Moses is standing, and the Lord has had enough of the children of Israel. I mean, he's just had enough of them. Stiff-necked people, he said. I'm going to wipe them all out, the whole lot of them, and I'm going to start with you, Moses, and I'm going to raise up a great nation from you. You know what Moses did? He pleaded for those stiff-necked people. He says, Lord, don't do it. Don't do it, Lord. You brought them out of Egypt. I know they're stiff-necked. I know they're horrible. I know they're disobedient. I know they're rebels. But you brought them out of Egypt. You're going to kill them out here in the desert? The Egyptians will laugh at us and say, God brought you out to slay you out in the desert. He says, no, don't do that, God. And he stood in the gap for the people. And he pleaded for them. And he interceded for them. See, in Hebrews chapter 3, it tells us there that verse 1, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house the children of Israel. Nobody was more faithful to them than Moses. Nobody interceded more for them than Moses. Nobody cared for them more than Moses. He treated them as his household, his family. He was faithful 
to him who appointed him as was Moses was faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things that would be spoken about afterwards. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of hope firm unto the end. The writers to the Hebrews saying, listen, Moses was faithful to his house, but I tell you what, Christ is far more faithful to his house, and we're his house. And if you read the various scriptures in Hebrews, which again for time tonight will not, because we know them so well, that Christ is our intercessor, isn't he? He is our advocate in heaven. He is the one who pleads for us, who intercedes for us, who prays for us because he's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He knows that we are but dust. And when the pressure's on and the dirty devil comes against us and accuses us and strikes at us, guess what? The one who sits at the right hand of the Father, our advocate, is praying for us, is interceding for us, that we'll have the strength and the power and the Holy Spirit will help us to overcome every attack of the evil one. Aren't you glad for that tonight? Just need one person. I believe that God will give every opportunity of grace and mercy to all of our loved ones because of our obedience. Apart from the fact He loves them and He died for them and He wants to save them. But for our obedience to Him. Throughout those scriptures that we read, whether it was Noah, whether it was Lot, whether it was Abraham, whether it was Rahab, Throughout those scriptures, one person interceded, stood in the gap for their loved ones. And God was pleased to save them. I know that sometimes we get very frustrated. I know that sometimes you wonder, will they ever do it? Will they ever change? And sometimes the more you share and pray and witness and testify, the harder they seem to get. Does that resonate with anybody? Huh? Maybe we were the same whenever we were in their position. Don't forget that. Sally was saved before I was. And she used to go out and try to coax me to go to church on Sunday nights. And I would have promised her all week, I'll go to church with you tonight. And it came Sunday night and I didn't go. Isn't that right? And she went out and slammed the door. <laughs> then she came in singing. She said, it made it worse for me. She had a great meeting. But she stood in the gap and kept believing and praying, trusting, as others did, until finally I came through. So don't give up on your loved ones. Intercede for them. Pray for them. Where and when you can, speak a word in season. I don't mean that you preach at them every day. But where and when you can, you speak a word in season. And trust the Lord.
at least, at least you will have the, the satisfaction of knowing that you have done all that you can do. So you're not just dependent on somebody else, but you have done what you can do. And sometimes that's what God's waiting on, us to do what we can do, for us to stand in the gap for them. Sid Murray is a famous wee preacher in Belfast. He's Sid's quite aged now, but he was fiery evangelist. And he was holding a, a mission in this church up in East Belfast one time. And every day there was a prayer meeting for the mission that night. It was a great mission. Lots of people were coming out and lots of people were coming to the prayer meeting, praying for their loved ones. Then they were coming at night and they were getting saved. So this wee woman stopped him in the street one day. She says, Brother Sid, she says, I want you to pray for my son. He's a drunkard. Needs to get saved. I want you to pray for him. He'll come to the mission. He said, no. <laughs> He's quite blunt. No, he said. She says, why? He says, because if you can't come to the prayer meeting and pray for you, your son, why should I pray for him? If you don't think enough for him to come and pray for him, why should I bother praying for him? She was at the prayer meeting the next day. She got the message. And sometimes we want everybody else to do all the praying and all the witnessing and all the encouraging. And sometimes it needs to be us. We're the ones. It's our family. It's our loved ones, isn't it? They're the ones who need us to stand in the gap. How salvation? I'm trusting, I'm believing. Are you? Let's pray. My dear old dad was 75 when he came to Christ. I had two uncles who were on their deathbeds when they came to Christ. Why? Because my mother prayed for them. She interceded for years for them. Held them up before the throne of grace for years. In fact, when the last uncle got saved... Because of her dementia, she didn't even know. We couldn't even tell her. She wouldn't even know who he was. But you see, God honored all those prayers all those years. And at the last, he came to Christ. So what about your loved ones? Evelyn over there got an opportunity with her dear sister before she passed away. And in her dying breath, she prayed that prayer. She squeezed her hand, letting her know that she was with her. You wouldn't want to leave it that late. She wouldn't. 
Thank God she did. Lord, all of us tonight in this room and those who are listening and watching, all of us has got unsaved loved ones, precious family members, and they're outside Christ. They're heading for a lost eternity. They haven't owned Jesus as Lord. So, Lord, we pray for them tonight. Our sons, or daughters, mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, grandparents, precious ones who need the Lord. Lord, by your Holy Spirit, would you touch their lives? Would you convince and convict? Lord, by the words that we have shared over the years and the life that we have lived before them, we pray, Lord, that would be an example, a testimony. And Lord, anything we have said of your word to them, we pray it will come back, bear fruit in their hearts. And Lord, that they would come to you or return to you of their backsliders. Lord, move upon them tonight. Draw them to yourself. Let them not be lost. Lord, you died to save them. They're more precious to you than they are to us because you gave your life for them. So Lord, by your Holy Spirit, open up their hearts. Speak to them. Draw them to yourself as only you can do by your Spirit. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.